Hey, how about this, listeners? Welcome to another episode of How About This, and today's episode will be cosmic and fantastic and hopefully a whole lot of fun. Thanks again for listening, and thanks again for being a part of this show. And now, here's Mike and Jordan talking about the Fantastic Four. What's up, podcast listeners and internet hooligans? It's another episode of How About This. On today's episode, we're talking about a franchise that has been around for a very long time, roughly about 60 years. And this franchise has only been mishandled completely from start to finish by anyone who tries to touch it. But before we get into what we're talking about today, let's introduce the Lord of Latveria himself, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Thank you. From uh, uh, broadcasting live from his Antarctic research base, Mike Staub. That's right. That's right. Mike and Jordan are here today to talk about, well, we're going to talk about the Fantastic Four because, well, the Fantastic Four has been a very troubled property and a very troubled franchise over these years, especially in film. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think... It's it's really a shame how the Fantastic Four has just never been handled correctly. This might be the most mishandled property of all time. It's definitely up there. It's definitely up there because there's nothing good for the Fantastic Four. It's bad cartoons, bad movies, bad video games, bad everything. But in general, how's it going, man? How's how's uh, how's this time of year treating you? We're recording at a point where we don't know when this is going to air. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's January now, but... This might not air till May. Yeah, it's cold and shitty outside, so it's uh, it's nice to focus on things that are not the terrible weather or the terrible pandemic or anything else. So this, you... this is this is this is nice to be able to talk about something we actually can fix, which is the Fantastic Four. Exactly. So you, what you were saying is that right now is not fantastic, but we can make it fantastic. So that's right. Everyone knows the Fantastic Four for the most part. It's a family that got that went into space and got hit with the very nebulous cosmic radiation and got got all these superpowers and they're very very interesting characters when split away from that kind of very 60s silver age sci-fi backstory but it's a family at its core it's a family of adventurers who created by stanley and jack kirby have kind of harnessed this kind of extraterrestrial corner extra planner corner of the Marvel universe. They're definitely, they definitely get out there and they're a little bit more weird, right? The, the fantastic four deal with more of the weirdness that goes around in multiple universes and multi and outer space and pocket dimensions and all this stuff. It's very, strange sci-fi kind of superhero stuff it's more strange sci-fi stuff than it is your standard superhero stuff and i think maybe that's why fantastic four has run into so many problems but jordan what is your experience with the fantastic four and why do you like them this is going to sound strange i I hope this is maybe someone else's experience too i what i'm what i'm about to say is it's kind of peculiar the fantastic four kind of was introduced in my life as almost like a, a niche property they were not really introduced as as mainstream heroes. This is so bizarre to say, but you have to understand this is when I came into Marvel Comics. I came into reading comics in the early 90s and I came in through Spider-Man. Yep. And if you came in through Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four were there in the periphery because Spider-Man is a New York-based hero and, you know, the Fantastic Four have the Baxter building in Manhattan and occasionally a Fantastic Four character would pop up and it was almost always Human Torch and sometimes it was the thing. But I was only aware of the Fantastic Four yeah, as, as these other heroes that sometimes came along. You have to understand, no one really sat me down and explained to me hey, these are some of the most prominent Marvel superheroes. They're owed a certain degree of respect. This is Marvel's first family. These are Stanley creations. I did not really have the reverence for them. So when they would occasionally flit in and out of the spider books, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, it's those people from the Fantastic Four. And I actually thought they were kind of a joke. And that really, really changed. I I actually, I'm not even sure when it changed. It was just like, as I got older, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, the Fantastic Four, those are those old timey superheroes. And they were kind of cool in a dorky way. I was like, oh, yeah, they're fun. They're like from a bygone era, but they keep them around anyway. I never, ever picked up a Fantastic Four comic, but I was I was interested when occasionally I would see one of their animated series episodes on television. I'd be like, OK, what's what's this about? But then when I returned as an older comic books reader, I was kind of like, oh, these characters are like really important and interesting. And what really sold me, of course, was their villain. 
they have what might be the most iconic, if not certainly one of the most iconic villains in Marvel Comics, if not in all of comics, which is Doctor Doom. Yeah. And I found that character instantly compelling. And what's strange, and I think you have a similar story I think you're about to tell, is that I had a, for whatever reason, I had a Doctor Doom action figure very early in life. I don't think my parents were really paying attention. They were just like, oh, cool, Doctor Doom. And I kind of had made up stories for him in my head that were bizarrely similar to the stories about him in the comics. And that character has such like a mystique about him and kind of like this tortured backstory. And there's this there's this weirdness just to him that I was fascinated. So what I'm trying to say is for most people, I think certainly for people older than us, Fantastic Four was always like a mainstream, mainstay Marvel Comics book. But because I was a Spider-Man reader that kind of stayed away from anything about them, they to me were always relics of a bygone age, occasionally reintroduced into the story that sparked some interest, particularly through their villain. Yeah, no, I, I have a very similar experience with the Fantastic Four. I remember as a kid, Toy Biz put out some really great Marvel superheroes action figures, like before the X-Men cartoon was a thing. They put out these great action figures and they had like all the superheroes and one of them was Doctor Doom. And I remember Doctor Doom with like his green cape. And yeah. I think... I think I remember having that Doctor Doom and I think I might have had the Doctor Doom that came out with they made a series of action figures where they had these little backpacks you could put on them that had like recorded phrases that you could hit the button. Yes. And I think I might have had a Doctor Doom that had that. And if that character, that action figure doesn't exist, then I'm sorry. It's, you know, it's it's Mandela effect. But Mike, you just like awakened something in my mind live on this podcast. I think I had that one. Or is it possible I had an, an Iron Man or a Spider-Man that did that? They, they definitely made a Spider-Man one. They made a Venom one where you know venom says we will eat your brains or we are venom they had a punisher one uh, oh i remember God. having a collection of them and they were like the second wave of these toy biz action figures that came out after like they, the originals were like in a gray box and the spider-man figure had like suction cups on his hands and he was terrible yes. because you could never punch terrible. him he was terrible couldn't, couldn't stick to anything couldn't stick to anything and i hate hate it when they would do that with spider-man but they had a whole bunch of these characters and then they made these like talking superheroes after that i came into the Fantastic Four or at least understood who they were because of the Maximum Carnage series because and and Carnage in general with involving Venom and Carnage were everywhere in the, in the Spider-Man books at this point in time in the early 90s and Spider-Man gets his actually Spider-Man goes to see Reed Richards right to talk about the symbiote and how it's resistant to uh, how it's vulnerable to oh. high power frequency sonics right, right. that's and, how spider-man gets the the stabilizer or whatever and, right the and sonic the gun. sonic gun right yeah. so reed richards is the one that has the sonic gun that kind of blasts the symbiote and they eventually have to i think use that against carnage or venom or something in one of the stories at some point so that was kind of my introduction i also had on vhs i would go to the you know local video store and i had a collection of these 1981 Spider-Man VHS tapes, the cartoon that was the same animation style that Spider-Man and his amazing friends was part of. So this was like the precursor to Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And there's one season of the Spider-Man cartoon and it's the same voice actors and all that stuff. And he fights Dr. Doom in one of these episodes. And that's kind of my introduction to this character it was like the Marvel produced Marvel animation stuff where eventually you'd get like Spider-Man and his amazing friends. There were some Fantastic Four cartoons that came out of that Captain America. Eventually there's X-Men Pride of the X-Men, all that type of stuff that came along with this. So I was introduced to Dr. Doom and the Fantastic Four through those uh, cartoons. And then eventually I was introduced to to the Fantastic Four as part of like that Marvel Sunday morning cartoons where it was either the Hulk right. or Fantastic Four, <laughs> right. which was like, it was clearly the Sunday morning equivalent of what was going on over at Fox on Saturday. It was like, oh, Spider-Man and the X-Men on Fox. It's like, yeah, the big tentpole franchises from Marvel. And then Sunday morning, if you woke up early enough, you could catch Fantastic Four and Iron Man and the Hulk. And these were cartoons that were clearly not as popular, but I still enjoyed my time with that. And I had a whole bunch of action figures from that. So that's kind of where I, I really developed a, an appreciation for these characters. And I, like you, thought they were kind of silly until I started reading comic books, I think in my like late teens and early 20s, once we start getting into more of the Civil War, House of M, that era of comic books, New Avengers, that was when I really started to understand the ultimate Fantastic Four and all that stuff. That's when I understand that these characters are iconic and they deserve way more respect. Yeah. And even though their powers are really simple. Yeah. In, in which they kind of represent the elements, right? Yeah, so like Vaguely, they're the elements. Yeah. They're the elements. So like Mr. Fantastic is kind of like water and Invisible Woman's kind of like air. Johnny Storm is fire, obviously, and the thing is earth. There's no wood or whatever, but And Dr. Doom's fucking metal. Metal, baby. yeah. 
and he is metal. And like you said, Doctor Doom is probably one of the top three comic book villains of all time across, I think, all comic books. It's like Joker, Magneto, and Doom are like the top three. Maybe Lex Luthor as well. He's definitely top five. I would say certainly in Marvel comics, Doom is either one or two. He basically fights the spot with Magneto, maybe Green Goblin. Yeah, maybe. People, people often make, I don't know, arguments for like fucking Red Skull. I don't know. I never thought Red Skull was that cool. I mean, like we owe him like respect as being like an early evil, horrible villain, but I, I, I never thought Red Skull was that cool. We could talk about the Fantastic Four now and kind of like why this team has been so mismanaged. I mean, this is a legendary Silver Age 60s era superhero team and they're a kind of the one of the first superhero teams to ever exist. They're a family and the movies are so bad across the board. Uh, the co- so, the cartoons aren't good either, and I've never seen the 1990 what like the 1993 the, 1994 the, the movie. Roger the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. I've never seen the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. <laughs> I've heard it's horrific, but I've seen all the Fox made Fantastic Four movies, and. I think it's weird because I feel like the Fox movies were trying so hard to kind of create the Fantastic Four in the similar vein to what the X-Men were doing. Yeah. But I think because of that, they fail so abysmally because it's just like you're not, like you said, letting the characters be the characters. So what do you think they get wrong about the Fantastic Four? This is going to be very similar to something I said in our our very first episode of How About This, which was an episode about Batman. I think that producers... In particular, hire directors who are like apologists in nature. Like they say, hey, here's everything that people know and love about these characters, but we're going to make it cooler, right? We're going to make it more believable, right? We're going to streamline this into something that people think is awesome. They don't really trust that the characters are good the way they are. Part of the success of the modern MCU was that they kind of took a look at their characters and they said, hey, no. We love our characters and we're going to try to come up with ways to make them as much themselves as they can be on screen. And, and you know, props to Kevin Feige for being the ultimate fanboy himself, John Favreau as well, for saying, hey, what do fans love about these characters and how do we do that? Rather than the Fox approach or, or even we could argue the Sony approach where they would say, oh, that's stupid, that thing they do in the comics. Let's transform it into something that is acceptable to us. That's not a good way to go about it. So I think primarily what people have lost sight of in the potential success of the Fantastic Four is you can allow them to be a little silly and still tell a good high stakes and even, I'm going to use this word, even a wholesome story because wholesomeness is a big part of the Fantastic Four brand and certainly that's always been part of their comics is the the emphasis on family. Yeah. And I think that's good. Unfortunately, no matter what we pitch today or no matter what film we look at, what was good, what was bad, nothing will ever be a better Fantastic Four film than Pixar's The Incredibles. Yeah. They understood the wholesomeness. They understood the family dynamic. They understood the potential that was there. And they said, okay, well, let's tell this with our characters. But those characters were ostensibly the Fantastic Four characters. The powers were lightly rearranged. Yes, we changed the ages of some people. But even Syndrome is a Doctor Doom-esque character. And even the villains that kind of came in the second one were Doctor Doom adjacent, in my opinion. Yeah. And I was like, hey, they're, they're taking this kind of 1960s Silver Age-esque energy, running with that wholesomeness, and still telling a good high-stakes story. For whatever reason, the Fox directors did not want to go that way, and I, I think to their peril. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think with the Fantastic Four, it's a franchise that needs... Or like all the superhero movies that we got, or let's say all the Marvel characters that were used in superhero movies before we got the MCU, lacked a certain degree of what I would like to say is patience. Yeah, We rushed to things that we didn't need to rush to. It's like, you got to let it breathe a little. Let the Fantastic Four breathe a little. Let's not rush to Doctor Doom being the end-all be-all villain. Let's give him some time. Let's show you his backstory, where he comes from. Let's expand this over a multitude of films. And what's beautiful about about the MCU is that you don't need to introduce the Fantastic Four at this point in a movie called Fantastic Four. You don't need to sell them that way. You can introduce Reed Richards in other places like they did with Doctor Strange in some in some instances or you can introduce other characters in other places and then give them a film later on like Black Widow is finally getting a movie right after all these years which by the time by the time this podcast comes out we might actually have an update when her film is finally actually coming out yeah it might actually have released at this point I don't know I'm not I'm not fully confident that it's going to release any time before June or July of 2021 you're right the Fantastic Four can be wholesome has to be wholesome it has to involve that aspect of family it also has to involve that aspect of silliness because let's let's be honest here 
<laughs> I love the Fantastic Four. Yeah. To death. But Reed Richards' power is that he can stretch really, really far. And he's a super genius and it's great. But like, that's a, that can kind of be a silly power. The thing has a big orange rock penis. Exa- well, according to... Uh, according as, to per, Brody, as per Mallrats. <laughs> as, as per Mallrats and possibly Stanley himself, <laughs> every part of the thing is made out of, of hey, orange rock. Alicia Masters was into that, okay? Hey, man. She is a sculptor and she could appreciate a big orange rock penis. Um, and I, frankly, so could I. Do we want to go down this road? I, I don't know. I don't think but this is the movie we need right. to make. Yeah, you're right. Let, let's get back to the wholesome stuff. The wholesomeness, the silliness is already baked into the pie. Why would you want to be a producer or a director on this and say, hey, let's take out that wholesome family dynamic stuff and just try to make a cool film, an edgier film, right? The first Fox attempts were not so bad. The Josh Trank film, is that this guy's name? I guess so, yeah. This is Chronicle guy, right? Yeah, Chronicle, yeah. Chronicle was good. This movie was real bad. This movie was actually, at the time I saw it, it was one of the worst movies I had seen. It's almost like uh, offensive to what the Fantastic Four is and was, you know? Yeah. Well, that, like, talk about apologists. This was like, these original characters are so shitty. I need to completely reinvent everything about them. Fuck you, buddy. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you don't have a career right now. <laughs> it's it's funny because with, with the Fantastic Four, like you said, they have to embrace that the fact that they're silly. It's like journeys into the weird. It's into yeah, the they, strange. They are, they are like strange tales, basically. Yeah, they are, yeah. exactly. They're a little, actually... <laughs> They're a little pulpy. Yes, yes, they a are. little bit. Like kind of like that whole 50s, 60s retro futuristic yeah, that's exactly kind of it. sci-fi and yes. Silver Age comic books. Yeah. It's very important to understand that. And after seeing movies like Guardians of the Galaxy lean into their weirdness and their level of fun and their dysfunctional family, I'm excited to see how Marvel can handle these characters moving forward and doing something that is fun, embraces family, is weird, isn't afraid to get out there into this weird sci-fi space. And I think yeah. that the, the movies that we've seen so far are almost afraid to do that. They always tell yeah. these stories that are like kind of grounded in Earth when the Fantastic Four stories that are interesting are not grounded necessarily in Earth, but in other places. So yeah. they're almost like, you know, they're, they're, they're adventurers, right? They're, they're sci-fi adventurers. Now, I understand you want to tie the whole thing to the MCU, so a Fantastic Four movie probably will have a significant portion that takes place on Earth, but don't be afraid to go out there and to give us more of that stuff that's out there. Sure. I mean, this was this is the series that introduced us to the Mole Man. I mean, you know, this is this is the wildest stuff that happened yeah. in the Silver Age of Marvel Comics happened in the pages of Fantastic Four. And it's, it's great in this day and age where we have the Fantastic Four going into these potential for the Fantastic Four to go into these weird places. We have Thor that has completely been like, yeah, we're going to skip those first two Thor movies. This is what Thor's about now. It's Jack Kirby psychedelic space nonsense, which I love. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy is also kind of leaning into that. We have, you know, all the alien races that are starting to show up like the Kree and the Skrulls. So we can really do some interesting stuff with the Fantastic Four moving forward. But in the end, it comes down to the fact that they are a family of adventurers and they have to have fun. The coolest aspect of the Fantastic Four at this point, if you want to talk about cool, has to be Johnny Storm, but like to the point where it's like humorous that he's almost too cool for himself. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. To where like, it's almost like a joke in and of itself that he's so cool here. And that's kind of where I'm going here with the Fantastic Four. So I know I've got a pitch. I know you've got a pitch. So who wants to start? I think I'm going to go first. You are, I think, the imminent Marvel Comics expert. And I know you how much you love the Silver Age. And I'm prepared for your pitch to blow mine away. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go first. And I think I have a less fully realized pitch than you do. So okay. I'm going to give it a shot. Let's go for it, man. I'm excited to hear what you got. Okay, you're ready for me to say the thing? Say the thing. Are you touching yourself a little bit? I'm asking the listeners, but also you. Uh, I won't divulge oh, on, on uh, mic. Uh, okay, great. How about this? Ooh, fantastic. So our movie opens in Latveria in 1961. So it's 1961. We're in Eastern Europe, Latveria. It is a castle. It is, in fact, the Doomstadt. It is the castle of the Von Doom family, but we don't know anything about them yet. We are kind of like led through the halls of the castle and we get from the tapestries and the atmosphere that this is like ancient, medieval, necromantic, Eastern European power. And there's something kind of magical and mystical about the environment we're in. We're, we're distinctly starting in a place that is not about science. And as we go through the halls and the corridors, we kind of see people that are almost dressed in medieval fashion. There's some kind of cult moving around and we don't really know who they are yet. It's very dark, very 
sword and sorcery kind of opening. And as we follow the camera up a staircase and up another staircase to, to like the tallest tower of this castle, we discover a teenager, a teenage boy, very handsome, blonde-haired teenage boy. And his room, which is fit for a prince, because that's basically what he is, is set up filled with tomes of magic spells and weird little interesting, they look like small robots and and little toys that he's built that have like their own little interesting life of their own. And our, our eyes really want to drink this room in because it's it's intensely cool. He's got like magic combined with, you know, the robots. We are, of course, looking at Victor. This is yes, young Victor Von Doom. And he has a magazine open in his lap. And it's it's an American science magazine. And it's got like this retro futuristic cover on it. And on the cover is Reed Richards, who is at this point in his late 40s. Okay. And Doom is a kid. And he's looking at it. And we get the impression from over the shoulder camera pan he idolizes this guy. And the sense we get is that this guy, he was, you know, a scientist that kind of came up between the wars and heroically contributed technology to World War II and on beyond that. And now he's massively involved with creating new energy sources. And this is what Victor is, is so, so interested in. And he keeps getting a knock on the door. He's constantly being interrupted by his mother, or at least we think it's his mother. And she's dressed in like these weird purple red cult robes. And she's like, Victor, the, you know, the ceremony is about to start. Victor, we, we have to go. Victor, we have to go. And he's like, oh, God, mom, fine, whatever. But he's got <laughs> the cool, cool Eastern European language going on. I don't know. We could use some kind. It doesn't have to be Russian. It could be like a Polish, maybe. I don't know. Latveria is not a real place. Yes. So, so they can uh, create something. Create something, you know, or or it's basically it's, it's the new Sokovia. How about yep, that? Yep. It probably will end up being Sokovia. So eventually, oh, fine. He closes up. He puts on his cult robe. His is green. And he's like, all right, fine, mom. I'm coming down. He's going to come down to the cult ceremony. And they're doing some weird ass fucking magic shit. They're summoning up some, some basically some demon from the pit may or may not be like Mephistopheles or Mephisto specifically or something like that. But guess what? This is, this is all before the title, by the way. Guess what? This ritual is about to go horribly wrong because you know who's had it? The villagers. Yes. The villagers have had it with the Von Doom family up on the hill with all their stupid, weird rituals and summoning (laughs) demons and vampires and werewolves and other abominations. And this is it's time for the fire and the pitchforks. All right. So, yeah, they are storming up the castle and suddenly Victor and his family are like, oh, my God, they're going to get us. It's the villagers. It's the uprising. They're coming and their numbers are huge. And you're seeing like sorcerers and stuff like that from the Von Doom family and the other nobles. And they're like hurling spells. But there's just too many of these people. So we see it is likely that Victor's family is killed. But Victor manages to escape. Not bad, right? Not bad. So he escapes and he heads out into the forest where there are the folks that are basically they are our our wanderers, right? Okay. Our, our Eastern European wanderers. OK, they are are basically like they're, they're like va- a vagabond people, essentially. Mm-hmm. And this is where we meet an old man named Boris. OK, and Boris realizes what's happened and he clearly has a relationship with the young prince and he is going to take him away even as they watch the Doomstad or Castle Von Doom basically go up in flames. So that's 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 our opener. But what we see as he goes away in in Boris's caravan is that, you know, Boris says, you know, I'm so sorry about your family or whatever. And we're going to see like a carelessness come from Victor. Like he doesn't care that they just burned his family or his castle. He's like, you know, what, whatever. He's almost like glad to be free of them. He would rather be with Boris. We see like of, of the couple of things he's he's saved. There's this the, the magazine that has had Reed Richards in it. He, he basically says there, there are other concerns that are more important right now. Right. So we pause there on on Victor Von Doom. And maybe this is where we get our title card. I don't know. It, it would just be called Fantastic Four, by the way, for right now, even though we opened with Von Doom. And we'll get our, our open. We'll get our, our names coming in. I got the fan casting going. I'll go with Krasinski and Blunt because why not? That seems to be. But I got some real unconventional casting for Thing. I'm using Donnie Wahlberg, oh, man. Oh, man. Fresh, fresh out of Wahlberg is in, and what's that show he's on? Uh, Blue. Uh, he's on Blue Bloods. Yeah. Blue Bloods. Yeah. Fresh Blue out Bloods. of Wal, Wal, uh, Wal, Wahlbergers and Blue Bloods. Him and yeah. Tom Selleck. That's right. I hate to say this, but I, I'm not that interested in Human Torch. And I, I feel like the internet fan casting of Zac Efron is fine. 
fine. Yeah. Like I'm I'm like, I'm fine with that. Okay, great. Whatever. I, my my pitch is not gonna focus on poor human torch. I'm sorry. We have left now the Eastern European part of the world over in Cape Canaveral. Now keep in mind this this is 61. Yes. But in our in our alternate history, right? They have kind of a budding space program. They're not ready for the the moon yet, right? But Reed Richards is kind of could be be the guy that like takes them there. Right. And he's an older Reed Richards. He's in his late 40s. As I mentioned, he's got the pipe in his yeah, mouth. I want him to I smoke a pipe. And he's wearing his little cardigan under his, you know, lab coat. I and love we meet the Fantastic Four. And there's a great press conference and whatever. And uh, Reed Richards tells them that that space travel is within their within their grasp. Idea here being is that I am replacing Neil Armstrong and friends as the first people in space. And I am going to replace them with the Fantastic Four. Okay, this is my movie. I love this. All right. I love this. Eerily similar to kind of some of the ideas I've had. So this is great. Great. So so they decide that they're going to be the first people in space. Reed is the head scientist. Sue is his co-head scientist right she's the the other research chair and and also obviously romantically involved her hotshot brother is in the budding astronaut program one of the first astronauts right and so is ben Grimm, who is reed's childhood best friend and that's that's all going to work out they want to be the first ones to go up into space just to to find out more about what's up there etc etc so we're going to fast forward quite a lot we're going on and on and on reed before he even launches into space discovers there is a problem mike there is a meteor hurtling towards earth and it is surrounded with cosmic radiation and if it hits the planet it's it's lights out for everybody okay uh -oh, now, like dinosaurs too yeah it happens to be quite far away so he thinks if he can somehow study it get a sense of the radiation just learn something about it he might be able to avert some kind of calamity here because again reed richards is the smartest man on the planet reed richards basically already has his superpower yeah before even being stretchy he's already the world's smartest man right so he says, look, we have to get up there. It's not just the new frontier. We have to find out more about this meteor that's that's hurtling to Earth. And of course, news has spread about the meteor somewhere in Eastern Europe. Von Doom has learned of the meteor as well and is hoping that his hero, Reed Richards, can figure out a way to stop this thing before it, it heads to Earth. But no one has any idea when this thing's going to hit. Reed Richards is warning about it. But other scientists are saying things like, this might not hit for years. We don't have to worry about this yet, Reed. And he's like, no, trust me, we need to start studying this now because in, in 10 years or 20 years or who knows when, this could be a global catastrophe. This could be a, a world killer. So we kind of got like Armageddon vibes going on here, right? Yeah. They have to come up with some way to stop the big asteroid, right? So yada, yada, yada. They finally get up into space. They're launching into first, they're launching into orbit and then they're deciding okay we're gonna we're gonna get to the moon and from the moon we're going to get our sense of of where we're going so they are on their way to the moon space travel is happening it's amazing oh my god there's a montage you know it's all very 1960s fun happening on you know late 50s early 60s so they're going up there going up to the moon and and the incident happens they get a barrage of cosmic radiation and do you know what happens mike what happens they die. They die. Okay. The cosmic radiation is like what do they call those things? The the when the when there's like a sun flare, you know, like the yeah like yeah a, yeah like a solar flare. A solar flare basically is what happens. But instead of the sun having a solar flare, that the the meteor had like a cosmic radiation flare and it kills them. Oh wow! They're vaporized. News of their death travels to Earth. Everyone's very sad. No one is more sad than Doom than Victor Von Doom. He's he's crushed. His heroes are gone. And apparently, that's the end of their story because we actually don't come back to them for a while. We go back to Victor. Victor realizes that it's not going to be Reed Richards that's going to save the world. It it has to be him. So he decides I'm going to dedicate my life to doing what Reed Richards was trying to do, coming up with, with energy sources, finding a way to stop this cataclysm that he believes is coming. But there again, there are these scientists that they don't believe this asteroid's ever going to hit. They believe Reed Richards died for nothing, especially when the asteroid does not hit Earth on the projected date that Reed Richards said. They kind of just don't believe it, and they just kind of chalk it up to a, a tragic accident. It's almost like a Challenger-type situation. Yes, the whole yeah. world was watching them trying to do this launch, and four of like the most famous people in America just got killed in 1961. Suddenly, people are like back off of space travel the only person who's not is victor von doom this guy from latveria who is this guy who where'd all his money come from who is this person and he becomes kind of a global celebrity as he enters the science community backed unbeknownst by most by magic all right so he's learned the cult secrets we're going to spend some time with victor now 
and he is fusing magic and science together in a way that really perturbs Boris and his people. Now, Boris is loyal to Victor, but the other folks there, you know, they're they're wary of this young man and his powers. In a light change to the origin here, I am going to go with that. He tries to learn essentially too many of their secrets, right? Basically got caught with his hand in the cookie jar in a forbidden text or something like that. They want to make it so that he can't continue his his work, right? So they, they capture him, they burn his face, right? They, they disfigure him. He decides he's going to return to the castle, do what he said he would never do, take up the family name. He's going to put on, basically, the, the armor he finds is one of the armor pieces from the castle. He's going to put on his old cultist robe and he's going to become the mysterious Dr. Doom. So suddenly this, this very popular scientist, Victor Von Doom, is, is suddenly withdrawn from the public eye. And this power starts to rise in Latveria because he suddenly becomes very interested in what he had once shunned, his family's magical history, their ability to connect with another world, and and he's going to now reign Latveria as this political presence. So that's all well and good. Then we have a a time jump, Mike. We time jump. This is crazy. We time jump to the present day from 1961. Now you might be saying, this makes no sense. Wouldn't everybody be dead or wouldn't Dr. Doom be fucking old as shit? What's going on in your movie, Jordan? Dr. Doom has magic. He's discovered the powers of immortality. There's even a rumor he can't be killed because many people claim to have killed the dictator of Latveria, and yet he persists on and on as if he is Doom Immortal, right? As if this guy can't be killed. But again, he's pretty much retreated from the public eye. That meteor, by the way, the asteroid has never hit Earth. But suddenly, there's a cosmic storm that comes back around. And that same kind of reading is coming back to to us in 2020. And people are saying, well, what is this? Hey, this reminds us of the stuff that that guy Reed Richards had had found back in 61. Maybe this asteroid's going to hit. Again, it seems too far away. We can't tell. They return. The Fantastic Four comes back to Earth in the storm. They had basically been caught in some kind of like time suck. But when they come back, now they have these incredible powers. So Everyone cannot believe that they are back and they still have like the 1960s sensibilities, right? Yep. So there is the fish out of water stuff that we got with Captain America or mm-hmm. in my mind with Austin Powers. Yeah. Right? And they're, <laughs> they're trying to reconcile with the new world, which is so different from the world of 1961. They are hailed as heroes. They're back and they're trying to reconcile with the world around them. And of course, no one wants to meet the Fantastic Four more than their original number one fan, Dr. Doom, who's kind of like doing like a syndrome in The Incredibles here. He says, hey, listen, and come to Latveria, I've been continuing your research for the last 60 years. So they go and they meet this guy. What he's done is incredible. And he's actually done a lot of the research that Reed would like to have done. This is a genius to rival his skill. They don't like the way he goes about things. So first of all, he's a horrifying dictator, but also he uses these weird magic things that require human sacrifice. And he has perverted combining science and magic together. Reed can see the same as Doom that this cataclysm is coming, Reed was just wrong for the first time in his life about when it was coming. It is now. Now it's coming back. In fact, the return of the Fantastic Four on the most recent cosmic storm has basically predicated that this is going to happen. Has basically said like, hey, the cosmic flare came back around and and it's kind of like it's spitting back the Fantastic Four because it's about to arrive. Yeah. Right. Doom is crushed. And now there's this competition with Richards like, you're going to save the world? Fuck you. I'm going to save the world. It's going to be me, Doom. And Doom is trying to get the world government to agree on a plan. So here's our MacGuffin, right? Doom wants to put up like, I don't know, fucking Doom Towers in every country. (laughs) I didn't come up with a good name for it, but he's like basically the combined energy of all these towers from all my energy experiments is going to, you know, basically blow up the asteroid. Doom can only be Doom, right? Doom wants to basically rule the world. So the thing he's asking for these governments from is like uh, some some degree of diplomatic immunity in each country and total control. And he wants this real estate and they're not willing to give this up to him. So he realizes, you know what? If they're not going to give it to me, I'm going to take it by force. Okay, so he starts sending in, you know, robots and, and building these towers. And like suddenly he's become like a threat to the world domestically, even as this extraterrestrial threat of this asteroid is coming hurtling towards Earth. So my first surprise was killing the the Fantastic Four. The second surprise is this. Reed is trying to figure out some way to save the world from the asteroid sort of hitting. And the second surprise is that he realizes Victor's actually right. Victor's way is the only way to do it. But because 
to do it, they would have to get like every world government to cooperate, which is never going to happen. He kind of sees the situation almost as like hopeless. So Reed kind of too late tries to get back on Doom's side and say, listen, let me help. There's another way. Let me talk to these people. Doom rebuffs him. And my second surprise, the big surprise of this film is that the asteroid hits. The asteroid hits Earth and it has the effect of mutating lots of people that it comes in contact with in the very same manner that the Fantastic Four themselves have been mutated. And I thought this would be a great way to like auto include some of those Silver Age monsters that they had yeah, to, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, fight against. This is where you get like, oh, your slime monsters and shit like that. So this is like in our- Mole Man. Yeah, this is where you get your Mole Man, right? So this is the excuse for all the Silver Age monsters that you might want to include. I love it. Was that this asteroid does hit. Reed was wrong. It didn't kill the planet, at yeah. least not initially, but it has created all of these threats that threats, now yeah. have to be dealt with. My movie is very much isolated from the rest of the Marvel Universe, but this would, you know, this might be a good time to like bring in other heroes, have them do some stuff. You know, the, the Fantastic Four basically work together to give Reed Richards the time he needs to essentially create the device, my, my other MacGuffin here, right, which is going to basically reverse the cosmic radiation and revert all these things to their former form or either, you know, kill them off or basically whatever. Yeah. Opposing them would be, would be doom. I don't have a great wrap up for the film, but I have a, you know, obviously they would think that doom was vanquished except doom can't be vanquished. I, I, my last shot of the film would be like, Oh my God, I can't believe we killed Dr. Doom. And then I'm going to do like a prestige type thing where like we go into the basement of the doom stat of Castle Von Doom and you just see like 500 copies of Doctor Doom, possibly Doombots, just kind of standing around down there. But like one of them is like walking around, just kind of looking at the others being like, oh, that's that's the that's, real guy. That's awesome. And then, I don't know, post credits, maybe a little, maybe a little Submariner action, right? Doom goes to the water and he's like, I don't know, I, I, need, I need your help. The Fantastic Four have to be stopped. The next great threat is coming. Doom really realizes in all his studies these threats are going to keep coming from outer space almost like they've been called like someone rang the dinner bell of this cosmic radiation and now all that good good radiation juice is coming from earth and other extraterrestrial threats are going to want it i i think that's amazing i love that and what's funny is that in the Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four run. If you're a Fantastic Four fan it needs to be read there's actually a point where so there's a council of reeds that are all these alternate reads from all these different universes. Mm. All of these reads in all of their different universes have all made Dr. Doom into like an idiot. Like they've <laughs> okay. used some kind of thing to make him like just, he just walks around. He's like, doom, 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 doom. And there's one doom that realizes this when he finds the council of reads and he goes, wait a second. So you're saying I have an army of dooms. Oh, so, so kind of like what you're saying, like in his basement, he's kind of got this like army of dooms. It could be robots, but it could be actual like, other dooms from other universes. Yeah, I think you could take a page like from Westworld's book and yeah. basically be like, yeah, they're all like basically like physical robot copies yeah. or like flesh robot copies. Yeah, that would be amazing. And I think it's a great way to handle the Fantastic Four and I love it. And my pitch is in parts eerily similar because I think we both understand what makes these characters work so good. But I well, love let's, that, let's, man. Thank you. I, I did forget to mention, I think I would cast my doom. The fan casting here is great. I, I, I think we have the same doom in the pre-show. We discussed this might be the case. Is your doom, Mike, Nikolai Costa Waldo? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, he's yeah. the man. He's the man for this, I think. Good old think, Jamie Lannister. I think Jamie Lannister is a great pick. I think he fits. He checks off every doom box you could. Yeah, I like it a lot. And like your idea, my movie is called The Return of the Fantastic Four. Ooh. How about this? Oh, let's do it. So like you, I have John Krasinski as my Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. I have Emily Blunt as Sue Storm Richards or the Invisible Woman. I have Zac Efron as well as Johnny Storm, Human Torch. Now my thing. Oh boy. My thing is a bit, pro is a bit of a problem for the MCU. Why is it Kevin Spacey? No, thank God. It's <laughs> collaborant time. <laughs> <laughs> what a revolting development. <laughs> This actor is already kind of involved in another Marvel project, but I want that Marvel project to be ended. <laughs> ended right, and removed. He plays a great, tough guy who is in it? Peaky Blinders. And I want Tom Hardy to be Ben Grimm. Holy shit. Alfie Solomon. Alfie himself. Solomon. Because Ben Grimm is a, is a man from lower Manhattan who says things like, ah, oh, what a revolting development and Listen, it's clobbering time. Mike, the second you said it, I was like, wow, Tom Hardy's actually a great fucking choice. This poor guy, we never let him use his own voice <laughs> but like imagine like i can't get ron perlman from 30 years ago to play the thing because ron perlman
Edelman's not 30 years younger or 25 years younger than he is now. True. And you're going to want a body at some point. And I think obviously Ron Perlman's like my, my, my idea of like what his voice should be. I also really like when the rumor was going around that David Harbour might've been Ben Grimm. I thought that was great as well, yeah, but they used like him as they, Red Guardian. Yeah. They wasted him on Red Guardian. I say wasted. I mean, he might be amazing, but like yeah. uh, he would have been a great thing, especially to John Krasinski's read. But listen, man, I'm fucking loving the Tom Hardy choice. Let's roll with that. Tom Hardy, I think, is great because Tom Hardy's he's a stocky guy. He obviously yeah. has no problem gaining muscle weight for a movie. You know, he's a uh, handsome he was fucking lead. Bane. He'll break you in half. Yeah, exactly. He's a handsome lead, so he can play into that kind of like, oh man, now I'm this ugly rock monster. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's so good because also, yeah, Tom Hardy is so attractive. You get a nice foil piece with yeah. Doctor Doom. These were like good looking guys that got yeah. mutilated. Yeah. So my movie wants to play into the wacky sci-fi '60s mess of everything. Fuck yeah. And I want to start my movie i'm not showing the origin in my movie we know it we know they got hit with cosmic rays i'm showing the fantastic four have already been the fantastic four for a little while and i want to say like uh, I'm not, we're not going to say right off the bat how long they've been the fantastic four but my movie begins with a la guardians of the galaxy 2 with the fantastic four saving an alien society from that giant green slime monster that you see on the cover of fantastic yes! four number one that's what, that exactly what i was thinking of yeah. this thing's destroying everything and the fantastic four are there are awesome they're using all their powers together they're doing all this amazing things they already know how to work together they're a team they're established as a team they're established to work well and they've clearly been around for a little bit and then after they're done destroying and vanquishing this underworld green monster and involved in the fight you have as well helping them kind of clean up the mess when they're done their good friend from space the silver surfer who is played by none other than wow. Keanu Reeves uh, <laughs> yeah, as, the, as the silver surfer so he kind of helps them wrap it up and Norrin Rad is someone that they've been in contact does, with does the silver surfer talk like this like whoa, whoa. guys really nice job I, th I think a little bit I think a little bit like a little whoa. bit you get a little bit of that like kind of whoa like I'm gonna help you handle this problem <laughs> my great. name is Norrin Rad and I'm from space and I'm totally Norrin. mad rad uh, that's how the movie begins and they vanquish this thing and you see the fantastic four you know they're in these wacky unstable molecule spacesuits and all this stuff and they're thanking the people and the people are thanking them they're bringing them gifts and all these things and they're like oh my gosh you saved us and they board this retro futuristic spaceship the pogo plane and they board the pogo plane and who is in the pogo plane waiting for them to come back in none other than their scientific ally Victor Von Doom, played by Nikolai Koster-Waldo, who has actually been on this space excursion with them. And he's kind of almost like, you notice like almost right off the bat that there is some degree of bad blood between Reed and Victor. And it's kind of probably a little bit over Sue Storm. It's a little bit over the scientific experiments and the scientific advancement. And you, you can see that they argue here and there. And I think what you see on the ship as well is you see some old 1960s ever newspapers from like 1961 and 1962, where Reed Richards is all over everything. He's in the popular mechanics. He's on the cover of the Daily Bugle. Totally. Yeah. All this stuff. And what do you see on some of these things? Mr. Fantastic. This is not a name that he came up with himself. This was a name that the press had given him because his scientific advancements are so amazing. And every picture you see with him is you see these really crazy, like retro futuristic, like science advancements and energy machines and cars that fly. And you see a little thing, a, a little expose on the fantastic car, right? And stuff like that. These things that he's developing. And, and you see that Dr. Doom or Victor at this point has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about this. Human Torch, is, Human Torch and Ben Grimm are kind of like the pilots of this thing. They're like the astronauts of the group. Ben Grimm clearly has some sort of, you know, military history here, but he is the thing at this point. And, and Johnny Storm is the human torch. And as they're on the on the ship and arguing, Doom and uh, Reed are getting into a heated argument on how it was handled and how that Reed needs to stop investing himself and involving himself in these extraplanar crises. It's going to create some sort of issue for Earth in the future. You see a timer goes off and Reed looks at his monitors and stuff. And it's it shows that they've been on... He checks his logs and it shows that they have been traveling the universe and the galaxy for the past five years. And the year now, by their calculation, is 1967. Mm. And Reed goes, well, our tour is over. We've done what we can for now. It is time for us to return to Earth. And they set a course for Earth 
and Reed plots a course. And part of plotting the course is that he says we could get to Earth more quickly if we create a shortcut or a wormhole through one of the areas that they've had experience with. And you hear Reed mention the place called the Negative Zone, a mm. place that would allow him to connect two points on opposite sides of the galaxy in light speed. And they're all very familiar with it. And Doom, or Victor, Von Doom in this instance, says that he expresses this kind of concern and they get into another knockdown, drag out fight. Doom says the last time that they did this, it almost killed them. And they allude to that them doing this at one point in the past is what kind of gave the Fantastic Four their powers and that they were immersed in this cosmic radiation and Doom actually didn't get any. He kind of got screwed over. So there's a jealousy there as <laughs> it well. It just, just missed. <laughs> it just missed or like he was wearing the right suit or he wasn't in the place at the time when it happened. And that idea is not super fleshed out at this one point, at this point. But Reed once again pulls rank and says, this is my family, it's my ship. He kind of gets Reed about it and he goes, I've calculated it, there's no problem. So they get to this thing and they they create a wormhole. And I want some moments too between like Ben and, and Johnny Storm, like kind of like riffing on each other and Johnny Storm kind of talking about like all the space aliens he's dated and he drops names <laughs> like Frankie Ray and Elijah L Laserfist and all sorts of things like that. And eventually they create create this wormhole through the negative zone. And as it happens, it's completely unstable. And the pogo plane gets rocked and they get hit more with all this radiation, all this craziness and all this society. And then the a big portal opens up and the ship is completely taken out of commission while they're in like this cosmic storm and they crash land in upstate New York. And the Fantastic Four as a family, they were kind of okay because they were able to brace themselves. I mean, the, the thing is virtually indestructible. Sue can create force fields. Reed Richards is also verily kind of indestructible as well. But Victor gets horribly, horribly damaged in this, in this crash and they rush to go to help him and like he's real bad like half his jaw is hanging off almost like we get to the point where it's like secret wars dr doom like he's been burned he's been destroyed he's and sue goes to help him and sees what's happened and she kind of like freaks out like he's a monster and i think that's also part of the thing too because obviously victor loved sue storm like wait like sees like he's a monster because he's been disfigured been disfigured and she kind of and like not in a way that's like an unhuman an inhuman reaction like her reaction is like oh my god what happened and like that's something that sticks with victor as right, like right. oh my god look at me I'm, I'm a monster so they rush him to a hospital but everything's weird they're like what's going on and they and Reed just like kind of looks where he can to see what's up and they find out that it's the year 2025 and that they've actually been gone in space for 60 years but something about this oh my god we did we did the same thing exactly something because I want the 60s era Fantastic Four to be kind sure. of fish out of water and it's not the fact that they were gone for 60 years but it's the wormhole that they took back and the cosmic storm that they got hit in somehow changed time. It took them 60 years to get home as opposed to a day. So Reed is completely confused and he's just, oh my gosh. And we get little clips of, you brought up the Challenger explosion as well. And we kind of get little clips and stuff here and there that Reed kind of researches himself. And he sees that like his advancements in his scientific technology are involved in textbooks. And this is someone that is taught to physicists as like one of the, or scientists in general as one of the, best minds of his generation and then he and his family the fantastic four as they called them when they were going out into space never came back oh, we kind of forgot about them yeah, yeah. kind of like like you know something like the challenger explosion which is a a, a horrific event that happened in That's our history american tragedy yeah. it's an american tragedy so like it makes right. sense that reed would have existed like this is someone tony sark would have studied this is someone that's peter parker would have studied in high school or, or college yeah he would have been almost a contemporary of of howard stark except yes. in a different yes. in a different field in a different yeah. field exactly Exactly. And he wasn't worried about, you know, all the all the the money and all that stuff and making this big industry. Reed Richards was a problem solver is looking to solve the Earth's problems and go right. into space. Doom is completely distraught. Uh, he's left broken. And he the only place he can go is back home to the old country. So he does what he can to get to Laveria, but it's not on any map. There's no flights that go to Latveria. Oh my God, it's like place, Night Vale. It's like Night Vale, exactly. <laughs> the only place that he can get to that's close to it is a place that keeps coming up as Sokovia. And Doom goes, and Victor says, okay, I don't know what Sokovia is. And this plays into the how the world and how the East Eastern Europe was handled after World War II and yep. through the 80s and 90s where it was redrawn and these new countries were made sure. and all that stuff. So we have these different Russian satellite nations becoming exactly. other countries and all coming, that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's like, like, oh, it used to be Czechoslovakia. Now it's the Czech Republic. It's all that stuff. So Istanbul was Constantinople. So Victor goes back to Sokovia and he realizes by searching through Sokovia, 
which is kind of still in ruin from the events of Age of Ultron. Oh, so you're fir- you're firmly screwed into the MCU. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Firmly screwed into the MCU. And the Avengers have never really paid for what they've done. Uh, my next phases with the MCU, if I had control of it, would be the Avengers and these superhero characters dealing with the problems they created for the actions in which they took. Whether it's messing with time and space or messing with, in this case, you know, this is, you know, destroying Sokovia. So Doom shows up and Latveria, or what's left of it, is completely destroyed, but it's been absorbed by Sokovia. That being said, the Doomstat still stands. His home still stands. So he goes to his home, to Doomstat, and waiting there is a very old man. Boris! <laughs> who, who welcomes Victor home. We, we both love Boris. I love Boris. He's the best You know why? One. It's because of Versus System. It's because of Versus System. He's so good. Card. That's a card game that we that's play. That's a card game, folks. I hope you know what Versus System is so good. Uh, Boris is like roughly in his 80s and he welcomes Doom home, Victor home, and that the castle's been waiting for him. And when Do- uh, Victor had left, Boris was a a young man in his 20s, like kind of like his personal like servant, but also like a friend. And Doom vows to Boris to make Ladveria one again. And he sees that his time away, he also blames on Richards and the Richards family for keeping him away from his birthright. Doom, you know, takes over some, you know, he's obviously a super genius. So he, like in your, like in your story, starts to work with machinery and scientific advancements. He uses some Sokovian tech and works with maybe some Ultron stuff that was left over to kind of create this thing. And he creates the suit of armor out of old suits of uh, Latvarian armor. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Very similar thing. Yeah. And we start to see, he talks to Boris about his training with the Tibetan monks and his history in dark magic. So like in your story, he's also combining science and magic into this horrible amalgamation and that his only plan is to get back at at society for destroying his home, but also unifying Sokovia under under the banner of Latveria as as he himself props himself up to be a world power and kind of, you know, this whole thing with diplomatic immunity and whatnot. And then we have the Fantastic Four, the back in New York, and they go to, they sign a lease on the Baxter building, which was purchased by what used to be Avengers Tower. So they're they're actually the the team that bought Avengers Tower. And they're greeted with by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and Happy Hogan, who's happy to have them move, help them move in, like he kind of helped the Avengers move out. And what I want to do is I want them to kind of pull out all of their old tech. And it's like, this was so so futuristic looking at a time but it looks old and dated and strange now as technology left this behind with stuff like the fantastic car and herbie the robot and all this stuff that kind of ties them into Mm. this 1960s thing i love this can i just pause you for a second yeah sure I think there would be a really cool moment for I'm sorry to inter- interrupt your no, pitch. Please, I, I, go I hope for you know this I'm, is what I'm this is about. loving this pitch, loving the shit out of this pitch. It would be interesting for them to have this this moment you described is really special. It's interesting for Reed, especially to have this reckoning with the future he imagined versus the future that actually happened. It's kind yep. of like retrofuturism meeting the present of what actually became of the future. We've never really seen that from a scientist's perspective. Also, really cool would be like, I think there would be almost a disappointment that the world kind of came up through Stark technology because he's yeah. a, a, we- a weapons manufacturer. And yep. I think Reed, Reed Reed was into energy and physics and kind of a more peaceful route for humanity. So I think there must be this. And you, you talk about the destroyed Sokovius. There's this great theme in your film of just like there was a more peaceful way forward, but they were gone all gone and Reed is, is upset and Johnny Storm who was like a real hot shot back in the 60s is like a cool daddy-o style character who's just kind of comes off as like a like a dork right. now and yeah. and obviously Ben Grimm has his issues with his appearance but Sue is obviously going to be the one to be like we have to you know we got to press on she's the heart and soul of the team she keeps the family together and she helps Reed kind of reconstruct they work together to kind of reconstruct this life that they had and try to modernize technology but I want something extra planner to kind of threaten Earth. Mm. Because of their tampering with these wormholes and these gates between universes, the fabric between our universe and the negative zone has become very, very thin over time. I want a, ta- a oh, time no. lapse where they're working oh, no. with stuff like that. So Sword and Shield are like, we need to take- oh, you're not bringing in a certain, uh, okay. You're not bringing in a certain negative zone bad guy, are you? Oh, yeah, I am. So- <laughs> I want the big bad to end this in a very Marvel fashion. I want the Fantastic Four to fight Annihilus. Oh my God. I knew you were going to say that. The big space bug. I want them to fight this space bug 
I want it to kind of start to take place on Earth, but I want them to actually also drive him back because what Annihilus is enraged about is that his cosmic control rod, which allows him to control all of the negative zone, has been stolen. And if the energy frequency from the, from the cosmic control rod is being attributed to the Fantastic Four in their ship. I love it. So they have to fight him off. So they fight him off. Eventually, Reed comes up with some fake cosmic control rod to lock him in the negative zone and they seal him away. But what do we end up finding out? That over in Latveria, Dr. Doom had been the one that was tampering with the negative zone. Dr. Doom was the one that stole the cosmic control rod. It was Doom all along. It was Doom all along. And while he lost this battle, he knows that he will win the war because it's now time for Latveria to be a nation that on its own allows Dr. Doom to begin his conquest of the world. And I think the last shot of the movie is Dr. Doom kind of like out on the ledge speaking out into the crowd in a very totalitarian, scary dictatorship way. The world will recognize who Latveria is. Mm. Avengers and the Fantastic Four will pay for the reckoning that they not only brought upon Earth with the danger of the negative zone and their hubris, but also to the things that they've done to Sokovia. So that's like your last shot in the movie. I think also too, while they're fighting Annihilus in the negative zone, I think the Silver Surfer also shows up and helps out as well because I think they're at this point, they're friendly with him. But my post-credits is... Showing the Silver Surfer, Norrin Rad is surfing around the cosmos like normal. And as he's surfing around the cosmos, he's teleported away somewhere and he's teleported. And all we see at this point is when he comes to is that he's staring eye to eye with a gigantic head of Galactus. And and he looks at the surfer and he goes, you surfer will be my new herald. And Silver Surfer's like, what does that mean? And he exp- he goes, give me the gateway to destroy <laughs> worlds and consume worlds for my for my sustenance. And Silver Surfer's like, no, nah, bro, I'm not. That's not me. I'm not gonna do that. No, I I cannot nah, do that. Sir. That's like not gonna happen, man. That is not rad. Yeah, totally lame. And he threatens to destroy his home world of Zen La and his people. And Silver Surfer's kind of like, well, that's actually much more lame. So, <laughs> all right, I get all right, it. Uh, he gets it. So also, I want to say maybe maybe the Galactus can maybe strip him of his power. He has the power to do that. So he so that will be get we get a Galactus almost like a Thanos. But I don't want Galactus to show up for like ten years, right? Or way way down in the future. Like this is something he would build till after they figure out the time stuff with like Kang or something like that. So that's my Fantastic Four movie and. And wow, that was end, awesome. I, I want Doctor Doom to be a setup for to be a future problem for the Marvel Universe, not just the Fantastic Four. No, he's a big problem for everybody. It's a problem for Doctor Strange, especially with the magic stuff. He's a problem magic, for everybody. And and that's kind of where I want it to be. I want him to almost fit fit a similar role to like a Loki, but less humorous. Kind of like he's kind of a villain for everyone, but we also he has motivations that we can almost kind of understand because his nation was destroyed, he was destroyed. And I want his disfigurement to be really, really horrific. And eventually, Secret Wars, God Doom, will happen at some point. Yeah, Mike, I, I love the pitch. I think, honestly, I, I think the pitch is very true to who these characters are and also embraces so much of what we love about them. We love that Silver Age feel we want to be able to reconcile the Silver Age feel with the modern age. We want them to fit in, but we still want them to have that set apart, unique yeah. place in the world. Yeah, I think you nailed Doom. I think in particular, it's important that they say of all great villains, we want to believe that in their story, you know, they think they're the hero. No one is taking over the world just to take over the world. No one is being evil just to be evil. Doom authentically thinks that perhaps he's the one that can save the world. Precisely. I think that's that's really nicely represented. What will probably end up is if your movie goes into a trilogy or, or multiple films is that Doom at some point will probably have to work with Reed to, oh, of course. to cir- circumvent a larger threat like Galactus. You know, that always happens. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I want to get to. But I want the second movie in this like Fantastic Four series to be more about Doom. Right. To be more about the Fantastic Four versus Doom and all these other characters can get involved like, oh, man, with Doom and you could get into the underworld with Mephisto and all that stuff. Like, I would almost watch a movie that's just Doctor Doom. Sure. Doing Doom stuff. Because Doom will do anything to defeat Reed and to take over the world in his way. So he's Doctor Doom is also a great I I often hear him compared to Doctor Faustus. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. He will make he will make these devil's deals to, like, do whatever he can. And that's that's part of why, you know, Reed can't ever fully trust him as good as his ideas may ever become. It's just because he's he's just goes too far. Oh, of course, um, of course. And I think at some point, 
maybe at the end of this movie, maybe as a po- second post credit scene. I think the Galactus thing maybe is an end post credits, and I think maybe a mid credit scene is we have Reed Richards reaching out to people like Doctor Strange, Professor Xavier. Ah, the Illuminati. And maybe starting to... F- to build the Illuminati, how that Illuminati can exist without Tony Stark and some and, of these other characters. And now without and, and Black with, Panther, without, really. Without without T'Challa. It's it's a real shame. Uh, I guess if we get the Shuri Black Panther, she would take his spot on the I council. Think, yeah. I think that would be awesome and I think that would work perfectly. Yeah. Uh, I, I would really be excited to see that. But yeah, man, that's where I'm going with this. I really want to embrace oh, that it. 60s sci-fi nonsense and on oh, 60s, that, that beautiful 60s sci-fi Jack Kirby style art and all that. But yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's yeah. our take on Fantastic Four. Yeah, I, I thought what I loved about our pitches, other than that they're fucking awesome, and if you think otherwise, you're fucking wrong. What I loved about our pitches is actually there was a lot of good like overlap. Like I think we we similarly enjoy a lot of things about these characters that are the same for both of us. So that was yes. actually nice to see. And I think I think the listener is very much a part of this. So hello, listeners. Thank you. Hello. Uh, thank you. I think a lot of people feel the same way we do about them. They have a specialness because they're set apart. We want to make sure that they're still set apart in exactly. some way. Exactly. And um, I, yeah. I I like that a lot. I really want to see the Fantastic Four done right, and I think they can finally do it correctly. And I'm excited. The second film would probably see the the Sue Storm pregnancy, right? We would oh probably, yeah, oh yeah. We, but I love the I love the kids. I think Franklin and Valeria are awesome characters. I, I think that a third movie where Doom takes La- Valeria it would be. Oh, so we'll do the child named Valeria storyline. We'll do. Why that not? Yeah. Why not? And then you have Franklin Richards, who's like a super mutant. Wow, there's so much stuff you could do. And now that Marvel is expanding into more of this kind of celestial realm with stuff and getting more into that space stuff, it's a perfect time for the Fantastic Four because the Fantastic Four are both space and multiple universe. So you could do really both with with uh, with this with this franchise, and Reed sure. Richards should be in every movie. Like yeah, with the launching of the multiverse, I mean, the Fantastic Four have never been in a better position to yeah. come into the MCU because that book has always sat at the cross section of the multiverse in in all of their stories. Reed is Reed Richard in Ultimate Fantastic Four. That's when the Reed Richardses find each other and realize that there are all right. these universes that exist and try to connect them. We'll see what happens when they eventually make it, and I really hope we get the John Krasinski and uh, Emily. Emily Blunt casting. I think that's that's really great, and I really want to see that happen in the future, especially if they let John Krasinski grow the beard. Oh, uh, I, like, well. I, I like bearded Reed. Maybe he will start sans beard with like the little bit of gray at the temples, and then like full he'll beard. come back full beard. Yeah, full beard. I'm down. I'm down with that. Oh, and you grew a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he can he stretch the beard too. I hope so. That'd be awesome. Like a stretchy beard. Then he could fight Medusa. And obviously in my movie, the big combat sequence with Annihilus is all the Fantastic Four goodness that you want. Like Johnny Johnny Storm going supernova. It's clobbering time. You know, Reed Richards, you know, tying himself around Annihilus so that his head is in Annihilus' face and be like, hey, you got to stop. You know, stuff like that. Like... (laughs) Sue Storm going invisible, making force fields and stuff like just wacky, crazy 60 sci-fi nonsense. Absolutely. The funny thing about Reed Richards isn't even his power. It's that he happens to be the smartest man in the world and also has this power. Yeah, so of like course. The character doing all the discoveries and inventions and, and saying all the intelligent stuff is also a big stretchy man. It's yeah. just very funny. <laughs> it's very funny because like Plastic Man is a total joke. Right. Like, like that. But that personality is appropriate to that Yeah, of, co- of course. Of course. Like that kind of slapstick. But everyone on the internet listening to this, thank you so much for listening. That was our take on Fantastic Four. We hope you enjoyed it. For Jordan Hugh, I'm Mike Staub, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Well done. Well done. Later. Thanks again for listening to our episode about the Fantastic Four. Please follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at HowAboutThisPod. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe and review our podcast. Anytime you write something or give us a review, it makes this show all that more visible so that other people like you can find it out there and we can help spread the word about this podcast, How About This. Thank you for all your support so far, and we hope to have more great episodes lined up for you in the near future. We're very excited about some of the things we're going to do this summer and some of the special episodes we have coming up. But once again, thank you. Please like and subscribe and share. And remember, this is a simple show that starts with a simple question. How about this?